The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 25. So today, I'm going to share with you some of the things that the Spirit has been showing me lately. You know, every once in a while, God takes me through a season that is so full of lessons and so full of new ideas that I don't really have time to think of anything else. And this would be one of those days. I was looking to do a different episode on spiritual communication, and I realized my spirit didn't have any room for anything else other than what God was saying. So in one of those classic scenarios where you go up to a teacher and you say, hey, what are you learning today? Well, I'm about to tell you. I'm going to talk a little bit about heaven, a little bit about happiness, and a little bit about communication and how energy is everything. I hope it makes sense by the end of all of it. I know I'm going to enjoy it. And as always, thank you for your time, and let's get started. All right. Hope you're having a good day. I know I am having the time of my life right now. And uh, today I'm hoping to try to convey some of that to you and uh, some of the things that Spirit has been showing me and a few of those in my life. You know, every once in a while, as I said in the intro, I hit a point in life where there's just so much that Spirit is showing me, I don't really have a lot of mental space for other things. And it's not that everything isn't important. I mean, obviously, I've learned a lot of lessons to this point. And there's great seasons in life where I'm able to talk for hours about just about anything. But right now, I am uh, extremely focused on a lot of the implications around the four agreements. It's a book I've mentioned in, the last, in a few episodes in the past few weeks. I am recording this episode on March 8th, 2019. It won't air for six weeks because I, I record six weeks ahead of time on average. But at the same time, I, I'm I'm assuming in six weeks from now, I will still be knee deep in, uh, in these things and in these ideas. But uh, in preparation for this episode, I was uh, just trying to figure out uh, where to take you guys and where to take this journey, and I just couldn't get past these things. So if you'll bear with me, I am. this is one of those episodes where I'm going to pontificate via recording, and you get to listen to it. For those in my life who've been around for a long time, I mean, usually these sessions are uh, good. I don't typically waste a bunch of time just kind of going all over weird places. So today, there are really three concepts I want to try to give you to the best of my ability, given that I am only recently understanding them. You know, as a teacher, one of the things I've believed and I absolutely want to convey to you in this is the only time that you really, really should give a teacher a bunch of weight on any particular subject is if that teacher has found a way to bring those truths or the things that they're telling you into their real life, right? If things stay in the world of philosophy, in the world of the mind, while there's value there and while logic and knowledge is, is a beautiful tool, it is a lousy master, right? Logic and knowledge without the life that reflects what you say you're teaching, all it is is just puffed up words. And so I'm aware that I'm getting in, I'm recording an entire podcast on stuff I just learned. And my life is going to take months, if not a couple of years to fully reflect the things that I am saying. So, you know, two years from now, I may listen back to this own episode and be like, oh my gosh, how much I didn't really know. But, you know, I've come far enough in the things that God has shown me. I understand the principles behind truth. And so I'm going to do my best to kind of stick with some principles and stick with the bigger picture and these ideas because I find they have been life-changing for someone as myself and those in my life, my wife and some very close friends and business relationships of mine, that these truths really are rocking our world. They don't come from the Four Agreements in particular. The Four Agreements was a book that the Holy Spirit gave me, and I guess 
I'll start there. I'll start with a story that I am familiar with the Four Agreements. It's by Don Miguel Ruiz, and I've been familiar with that book, at least by title, for years. A, a former friend of mine, um, an acquaintance, Tom Krause in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, he told me one time that one of his favorite books, and he's bought cases of it, and he gives it out to people. And he gives it to just about everybody. What was interesting is I personally introduced him to four or five different people over the course of a year and a half. And he viewed me as a spiritual teacher of his. I watched him give that book to people. And I don't think he ever realized he never gave me one. Right? So first, I'm like, what the crap, dude? Like, I do all this teaching and everything. You can't even give me a book? Like, what the deal? You know, and I got over it. And I understand. I, I can almost guarantee you he assumed that he had already given me one. But he never did. So even in that, you know, the spirit began to highlight this book as being this potentially offensive thing, which is interesting when I consider it. So I was aware of the four agreements for probably four years and uh, it had come up. Different people had mentioned it at different times. And it was a book that I knew was out there. It was a spiritual book. It was, I had kind of been presented with it as an idea of these four agreements are a great way to live your life which is true. Yet, when I read the book, I'll fast forward a second. When I read the book, it was significantly deeper than anything anyone had ever told me about the book. And like many things, you can read it on different levels. And if you read the four agreements on the most quote unquote shallow level, you'll walk away with some really great principles for life, principles for yourself. But if you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, the Four Agreements and the philosophies around the Toltec tradition around the Four Agreements is completely revolutionizing my life. And of course, it's mixed with what the Holy Spirit has been showing me. I have a unique viewpoint of life and of Christianity and of the Bible, uh, obviously New Age Christianity. So like any of us, I take something like the Four Agreements and I filter it through who I already am, what I already believe what I already quote unquote know. And I got some significantly powerful things from these ideas, from the four agreements and the other books. I've, I've now purchased, I think nine of the books around the Toltec wisdom tradition. Um, Miguel Ruiz, he's the dad and he has two sons, Miguel Jr. and Jose. And between the three of them, I know they've written, I think, over a dozen books. Some of them are kind of just prayers and meditations or something. I haven't purchased those, but all of their philosophical or books that kind of present some ideas I have purchased. And I've read seven of them. I've got two more that are still in the mail. So clearly, this has affected my life. And there will be repercussions of, of these ways of thinking for the rest of my life and new age christianity and the community that is built around these ideas will be recipients of that change as a matter of fact we just started by the time of the airing of this episode it'll be over but we're doing a four week um four agreements book study kayleen hale is leading it and uh, i'll certainly be a part of it but uh, this community is going to become very familiar with these concepts so back to my story about how the four agreements came to me. So I was very familiar with, from, I was aware of it for a long time. And then one day I had a conversation with Christopher Teasdale and he mentioned some books that he was reading and that the four agreements was one of the books he had. And, and I thought, Hey, have you read that? And he said, no, I haven't. And we had a short conversation about it. And I thought, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to read that. So I put that in the back of my mind. And then it was a couple days later, I would think I was listening to a podcast of somebody's, maybe Rob Bell, I don't know, and The Four Agreements was mentioned again. And so, as the Spirit often does, he kind of raises your attention to something. And when you learn spiritual communication, you learn to start paying attention to repetitive things, especially when they're completely random, like that. So, The Four Agreements, as a book, had been raised to my attention a couple times. I didn't do much with it, and then, like, maybe a week later... I was talking to somebody professionally, a service that I'm using, that, and the guy, I mean, he's basically calling customer service of a company out of California, and the guy in trying to interview me and what I'm trying to do with business and everything like that, I told him about New Age Christianity, I told him about some other projects I'm working on, and he started going into 
the four agreements. And specifically, one of the agreements is not taking anything personally. And he just went off about how the four agreements has changed his life. He's writing a book about it. He just got went through a divorce and how, you know, not taking things personally has changed how he viewed everything and blah, blah, blah. And he spent an hour, a full hour, no joke. This is not an exaggeration. He spent an hour on the phone with me, a customer service representative, spent an hour on the phone with me telling me about how great the four agreements was. So this is all within a week or so. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to buy the book. And I was leaving for uh, a business trip two days from there. And the next day I had a meeting with one of my business partners. We were going to head down to Columbus, Ohio for a few days. And I pulled up the four agreements on Amazon on my computer and was going to purchase it. And I thought, you know what? No, I want to actually read it on the trip. So after my meeting tomorrow, I'll go to the bookstore and I'll buy the book and I'll take it with me the day after that. Because I live in the great white north of Michigan. If I order things on Amazon, it's never actually two days. It's always like four-day delivery. So I wanted to buy it before I left. So I get up the next morning. I go to my meeting. I'm with this guy for about four hours, uh, Jonathan Garlinghouse. And he, at the end of the meeting, he looks in his bag. And uh, he's still very much, well, I mean, he's a bold Christian. And he's definitely asking some good questions. But he's not quite to the New Age Christian belief system yet. So his mom, I guess, is uh, more towards new age thought. And he looks in his bed and he goes, oh, my mom, you know, I love her to death, but I, I'm never going to read this book. And I'm like, what book? And he goes, she gave me some book. It's kind of new agey. And he pulls out of his bag. Well, you guessed it. The Four Agreements. And he slaps it on the table in front of me. He says, I'm never going to read that. <laughs> I'm literally looking at this book that I have pulled up on my Amazon, on my computer, that I was going to the store literally 10 minutes from that moment. I was going to go buy this book. And I just, my jaw hit the floor. And I was like, oh my gosh, dude, I was literally just going to go buy this book. Let me tell you the story. So I told him the story I just told you. And so he says, well, dude, I'm never going to read it. I guess spirit wants you to have it. So here you go. Right. And so the four agreements ended up in my bag. I took it on the trip. Ironically, I actually didn't have any time to read it on the trip, but I devoured it the day after I got back. And uh, thus began a journey into thinking differently about everything again. (laughs) And, you know, the beautiful thing about having deconstructed Christianity and deconstructed life to to the levels that I already have is that thinking differently about everything again isn't that difficult to be honest. I mean, once you've become an artist of change in your life, it's just a matter of kind of wash, rinse, repeat. Oh, I've made massive changes before. I've been ridiculed by friends and family before. I have been called the devil and, you know, (laughs) the antichrist. And I've gone through all of these things. I've looked in the mirror and thought I'm crazy or not, you know, asked if I'm crazy or not. I've struggled through change on this scale before. And so once you've done it, two or three times and you've survived, the idea of doing it again isn't nearly as scary as it used to be. And the cool thing with this one was because of how I got the book, it was abundantly clear to me that the Holy Spirit was absolutely saying, hey, Austin, this thing that you're experiencing, these things that I'm showing you, here's the framework that I want you to study. I want you to study the four agreements and which has led into the whole idea of the Toltec tradition. I want you to study this stuff because these things that you're experiencing, which I, I'm not going to elaborate on in a podcast, maybe ever, some of the, the personal things that I'm going through and those in my life are going through, they're challenging as hell and they're beautiful as, as heaven, but nonetheless, they are scary and they are challenging. And the Holy Spirit giving this framework of the Toltec tradition of the four agreements and the fifth agreement and the voice of knowledge and all of these other books Uh, has been invaluable because it has helped me realize, oh, I'm not crazy. Yes, this is change and it is crazy change, but it is by the Holy Spirit again. And so in this last week, I've been on this change process for about five months now, um, just under five months. And some of the things that began this whole process and challenged my way of life and my way of being and my way of thinking and my way of believing that all started back in October of 2018. And uh, here we are, and now I have a framework. And over the last week, some of the, 
major lessons that I've learned. I'm a very aware individual when I'm going through something like this. It, I don't understand it when people have massive dynamic life change and they're not really, they're kind of going autopilot. A lot of people shut down and they kind of just close their eyes and wait for the, the, wait for their car to hit the wall at a thousand miles an hour. I don't know how people kind of cope through massive change. A lot of people use alcohol or they use certain behaviors. But for me, I get super introspective and I get super spiritual. Um, and that's always kind of been my thing. So in that, I have learned three things. They are related. I don't know if I can fully convey how they're related. But one is about the reality of energy and our experience of the things that we feel slash believe slash know and our inability or the challenge of conveying those things to other people. So have you ever had the experience where you feel like you know something, you feel like something is good or you feel like something is bad, you feel like something is a particular energy and then you go, okay, and someone says, well, can, what are you thinking? And you're like, uh, crap. What it is, the moment you somebody asks you, what are you thinking? You are forced to take the purity of that feeling, of that emotion. It's more than emotion. It includes emotions and beliefs and thoughts. I just feel this. And you can feel like somebody, you know, perfect example, I feel like that person that I just was introduced to is untrustworthy. I can't explain why. I just have a feeling. And then somebody says, well, what do you mean? What do you think? And then you have to insert all of these filters. Why do we have to insert filters? Because I can feel something pure and perfect and I don't mean perfect isn't good. I mean, I, there's just no, your feeling is 100% clear, right? You don't have to explain what you feel. The only reason you have to explain what you feel is for two reasons. One, your mind tries to give it language. Your mind tries to give it and wrap it around under concepts you already know. Or two, you have to explain it to somebody else, such as your friend, right? That guy I just met, doesn't feel good. I feel like he's untrustworthy. And your friend says, well, tell me why. Crap, right? Why do I feel that way? Or what is it that I'm feeling? And now you begin the language. So now you have this process of trying to convey an energy that you feel purely and clearly. And you're trying to give that energy to somebody else. So imagine you are talking to your friend and your friend wants you to explain this feeling. Well, the first set of filters and distortions that you have to add is you have to add words that you know, right? I use English. English alone has its own filters. If I say the word love, you already know that the English word love in Greek has many more versions. You have phileo and agape and all of these other different versions of love, yet the English language has a filter. So I have filters that I have to now use words to convey this energy to you. Not only that, those filters are going to be through Austin's experience, right? If love has done nothing but hurt me or destroy me, when I use the word love, I don't mean it the same way that you might mean it. You, you may use the word love because love has been an amazingly beautiful thing for you and blah, 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 blah. And so now all of these filters have Austin's filters. And then because I'm talking to you, I am going to use language that I think you understand because I think I know you. And so I may know that you, you are the person who thinks love is awesome. And so I'll choose to use the word love, even though it's negative for me, I'm using it because I think it's positive for you, but I'm not sure because it's still a filter of perception. And now I've got the Austin filter of Austin and I've got the Austin filter of you. And remember, I'm trying to give you this energy that is pure and clear and perfect. And now I've just given it through two major filters 
what I have experienced and what I think these words mean. And then what I think you think these words might mean. And then it hits your filter of what you think my words might mean (laughs) because you have an opinion of me and you might know, oh, well, he thinks love is stupid. So he must mean, right? And then you hit your own filter of what you think love means. And then hopefully by that point, after it's gotten through four sets of filters, the energy I was trying to give to you in some random world is supposed to be the same energy that I feel. And let's be honest, that's impossible, right? The moment you feel, the moment you have your knower, the moment you have that feeler, that is truth. That is the reality of a feeling and that is an experience that is very quantifiable by the one feeling it. Here's the problem. We live in a world, at least currently, that we can't just give each other feelings. We have to use words to convey what it is that we're feeling, right? And so you may feel that Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and you may feel that the Holy Spirit, you may have all of these spiritual feelings. You may feel that liberalism is whatever, or that conservatism is whatever. And then that feeling being pure and real We take that and we put that on as our identity and we say, here is what I'm feeling. And now ensues the hilarity of filters and distortions. And here's the dirty little secret. All of those filters and distortions are nothing more than the sum of the things that we have learned that those words even mean. Meaning... Even the filters and distortions are subjective to I may have an experience tomorrow that says love isn't what I thought it was yesterday. So even then, what we're using is nothing more than the knowledge of good and li- good and evil, which is the father of all lies. We're truly using lies, learned lies, agreed upon lies, but nonetheless, the reason they're lies is because they're not the truth. Anything that is not truth, what is it? Right? It's a distortion. What's a distortion? It's a lie. If I cannot convey the truth of a feeling to you, the only thing I can do is use these filters and distortions to try my best to get you to feel what I feel. Now, why do I bring that up? Because so much of our spiritual journey, so much of our personal journey comes down to the communication breakdowns in this process. When I feel something and it is true to me and it is something that you cannot convince me I'm not feeling it because, hello, I'm feeling it, right? That's not a theory. I'm not theoretically feeling like, pick a subject, that I'm not theoretically feeling like the Bible is perfect and errant and that the Holy Spirit wrote it. I truly do feel it. Can I give you that feeling? No. All I can do is my best to convey my feeling to you. And then we're going to go through all of these filters. By the time you get it, you may think I'm full of crap. This is why all of us experience reality in our own way, in our own world. And in the end, there is nobody who is going to experience reality the way you do. You know, one of the ideas in this Toltec tradition is that you were born alone, you grew up alone, you live alone, and you will die alone, right? Now, the death thing is, I would say that's debatable, but point being is, why are you always alone? Because you're the only one in your head, right? If you went and you watched the movie of your mother's life, right? Let's say your mother's life was recorded, and you would see yourself in her movie as a secondary character, right? As her child. And as you watch yourself in her movie, you would watch somebody you don't recognize, right? If I went to my mom's movie and watched her movie and I looked at my character, I get born and I live and everything, I would see her perception of who I am. And I can guarantee you one thing, it would not match 
my character if it was in my wife's movie. If I went to go see my wife's movie and I was a secondary character in her movie, I would be a completely different character and so on and so forth. If I went to my own movie and I'm the primary character, I would totally recognize that guy, right? Because I am that, it is my movie. It is the movie inside my head is the character I play. And yet I'm trying to talk to my mother. I'm trying to talk to my wife. I'm trying to talk to my friends. And what they're seeing is their distorted vision and version of who Austin is. And at the same time, I'm seeing the distorted version of who I am in my own movie. Think about it. And yet, we have built a world around this way of communicating and this way of being that we get offended and we get hurt and we draw judgments and we say, you are wrong, you are of the devil, blah, 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 blah. And what it really is, is nothing more than our perception of that person's agreements and that person's agreements not agreeing with ours or at least our perception that they don't agree with ours. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody and it took you hours to figure out that you're really saying the same thing? It's because you both had energetically the same feeling towards a subject, but you came at it with all these different filters. I was recently talking to somebody about vaccines and I came at it from, you know, I would say an anti-vaccine standpoint, largely because of you know, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist and I believe that there is some control mechanisms and inside of the medical industry as well as the food industry and so on and so forth. But I understand that there in everything there's always some beauty to be found and some truth to be found. And so I was coming out of vaccine conversation from a, a filter and a viewpoint of by default the answer is no, don't do it. But let's talk about a few that might be worth doing. And this other person was coming at it from the other way that of vaccines are good and anti-vaxxers are essentially pro-epidemic people. <laughs> and yet this other person was also willing to admit that there might be some, some bad stuff and everything like that. And in the end, we both came from different filters and different angles and we came to the middle and we realized we kind of both think the same thing about vaccines, right? Pick any subject and that happens. And why is it? Because you simply have built a version of yourself and everyone else has built a version of themselves and we all are the only ones who live in our heads. And when you attempt to convey energy or to convey truth, right? And truth simply is experience, right? That is one of the things, I don't know if you're one of those philosophical people that wants to say there is no truth, or you want to say the absolute truth is the Bible and Jesus and all this stuff. Look, truth is experience. I would say truth is the reality. I have a body that's true, right? I feel X, Y, and Z. That is true. Now, if I try to use words, if I try to convey anything beyond those feelings, beyond that moment, I am now putting in filters and I am now layering it with distortions. And we try to live life surrounded by people and we try to share the truth with them. And the faster we can realize that all the energy that I can pass on to you is going to have all these distortions, the faster I can get away from being offended by every time someone doesn't agree with me, from being offended by everything somebody else says to me, and I can begin to enter into a different world of loving people without the conditions of their agreement. So another idea that I want to share, and these ideas are kind of uh, separate from each other, if you will. They're all pieced together in this journey that I'm on. But, uh, you know, we all exist in the pursuit of happiness. If you really boil it down, why do you get up and do anything? Anything you do is, for the majority of humanity, is so that you can, it's because you want to do it. Even the things you think you don't want to do, like I don't want to go to work. Well, you're going to work because you want to work more than you want to be poor, right? Well, I mean, you know, I, I just, I still don't want to go to work. You can't tell me it's what I want. Well, then why are you going to work? Well, because I need to make money. Okay, so you want to make money. 
yeah, but I don't want to go to work. Yeah, but you're still doing the thing that you want, right? And so doing the thing that you want is really nothing more than the pursuit of more happiness. And as Thomas Troward would say, the, the thing that drives us all and all creative action and all movement is that tomorrow would be better than today. That we all want to expand our experience of living. And unfortunately, we've been given a nightmare called society in which we pursue that expansion of living where people wake up 20 years into a career and they have a midlife crisis because they realize they're not happy at all. And what they've been pursuing is momentary fleeting happiness that says, well, as long as I can pay my credit card bills and go on vacation once a year, I guess I'm happy, right? But in the end, if you back up to the big, big picture, pursuit of happiness is the meaning of life. And we can have further discussions philosophically around that, but I believe if you consider it deeply and patiently, you'll realize, yeah, that is honestly why we exist is to enjoy living. And Jesus says it, right? I came that you would have life and have life more abundantly, right? And counting things joy and the pursuit of joy and the pursuit of life. So what do you do when you're unhappy, right? Unhappiness is the antithesis of life. And unhappiness really comes from two things. The first and the primary one that humanity looks at is circumstances, right? That the world outside of me is manifesting in such a way that it is, quote unquote, making me unhappy. I don't have money, my friends, my spouse, my children, my weight, my age, Whatever it is, all of these things that are outside of my mind, even if it's my own body, my own body is outside of my mind, um, that those realities outside of your mind are making you unhappy. And so what most of us try to do is pursue happiness by changing the external circumstances. This is what hard work is about. This is what going to work is about in the first place. This is about the law of attraction. Even on the highest, most spiritual level, the law of attraction is most often used in the pursuit of happiness. And it is viewing happiness and its source through external circumstances. But unhappiness also comes from a second place. And that is your internal agreements with life. So I use the word agreements in replacement of what I used to use regularly as the word beliefs. Because agreements is a significantly more powerful directive at what you're believing. And I mean, we know what you're believing is simply what you're agreeing with. But agreements, I think, puts the power in your hands a little bit more and it's more active as opposed to passive. So you have agreements with what life is supposed to look like. So if you think about Mother Teresa. If Mother Teresa understood the law of attraction, which by the way, the law of attraction is working all the time. So whether you understand it or not, you're using it. So Mother Teresa used the law of attraction, but what did she use the law of attraction for? She used the law of attraction to live a life that was selfless and she built massive change in India and she did the things that she did as Mother Teresa to become famous, to become the Mother Teresa we all know. She used the law of attraction to do something extremely different than, you know, if you've seen The Secret, they talk about sports cars and they talk about success and they talk about dream houses. You know, great. If you want to use the law of attraction to get your dream house and have a mansion in Maui, awesome. I'm not saying don't do that. But clearly, Mother Teresa wasn't concerned with that because she had different agreements, right? For her, happiness wasn't about having a mansion in Maui. For her, happiness was about helping people less fortunate than her. And this isn't meant to make you feel guilty for wanting a car. Personally, I do want a dream house. I want to be of a caliber of individual that, you know, I can change the world through wealth. Um, but Mother Teresa changed the world through service and, and through a, a different kind of message, just like Jesus or a lot of the other spiritual masters throughout the ages have changed the world through many different means. And 
Yet, their definition of happiness from the inside out was fulfilled. So if you ask Mother Teresa what makes her happy, and then you say, well, here's a mansion in Maui, I can almost guarantee you she'll sell it, take the money, and continue to pursue happiness according to her internal agreements. So it takes two things to be happy. It takes external circumstances matching your internal agreements. So if you're unhappy, then one of those two things is out of whack. Because you remember, if, and it's not going to be both of them, right? But if your external circumstances do not match your internal agreement, or another way to say it is your internal agreement doesn't match your external circumstances, right? It's the same thing that you have to get those both in alignment, that your world outside reflects the agreements you've made on the inside. And at that point, happiness is the result. So how do you create happiness? How do you pursue happiness? Like I said, most people go to the outside and they try to change their circumstances. I have an agreement with myself that I'm supposed to be wealthy. Therefore, I'm going to pursue wealth in order to pursue happiness. That's great. But that is only one of the two ways that I can pursue my happiness in that arena. The other version of the pursuit of happiness that I could consider is not to change my external circumstances, but I could change my internal agreements to match my external circumstances. So we kind of instinctually do this a lot of times when we come across something that we've just not been able to conquer, right? Where I want to be wealthy and for whatever reason, I just cannot get out of this thing. And so we develop what's called a poverty mindset, right? Where we develop an agreement with poverty and we find some version of happiness where, you know, in religious circles, the idea of if you're poor, then that means that you're doing something worth, you know, you're doing something good and that God is on your side because you're poor. And so we're happy to be poor again. Our external circumstances haven't changed. It's our internal circumstances that have changed. And our agreement on the inside or our belief has changed. And so where I want to get to this is, in the end, any pursuit of happiness from the outside of yourself, when you're pursuing happiness via changing your external circumstances, that is a beautiful thing. I highly suggest pursuing a world in which everything is perfect and everyone has enough. And so, yes, I am someone who is very much for changing the external circumstances. But I want to ask you a question. If there was a way to be happy every day in every circumstance, that there would be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, would you want to do that? And what would you call that? I personally would call that heaven, right? Then this is, which leads me to the third thing, that the kingdom of heaven is within you. So I have long considered the truth that our job as humans is to make earth like heaven. But what I never realized was that I had substituted external heaven. So I even did a podcast episode a few months ago about the key principles of a perfect world. And that podcast, you could say, making heaven on earth. What was the goal of that podcast or the goal of that discussion? And while I still agree with it, am I really going to wait to enter into heaven until all of humanity has become perfect? Because Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he seemed to suggest pretty clearly that waiting for heaven to show up, while that is something that we should do, can do, and I am doing, is it possible to enter into a way of life and a way of being where heaven is inside of you now? Now, if you think about heaven, there is no tears. There is no pain. There is no sorrow, right? How do you live no tears, no pain, no sorrow, everything is perfect? How do you live that in a world of hell? Clearly, it cannot be about changing the external world to make yourself happy. So what is it that Jesus is pointing at if it's not that true happiness 
is about changing the internal circumstances to such a way that happiness is no longer dependent at all on the external, right? Because let's be honest, if you are needing external and internal realities to match in order to be happy, then you will forever be subjected to the external realities. And this, by the way, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve didn't believe they already had it inside and they needed to do something outside of them in order to get it. When you pursue happiness through the changing of your external circumstances, you are trying to change all the things that you are not. Because you are not money, right? You are not success. You are you. Are you. And when you're trying to get money to be happy, you're trying to get success to be happy, you are addressing all the things you're not so that you can become them. But what if you address the things that you are because you are always you and that is all you ever will be is you. And is there, and this is a rhetorical kind of hypothetical, but totally not hypothetical because I'm seeing glimpses of is there a way of being, is there a way of living, is there a way of thinking that literally puts heaven in your hands today, right now, right at hand and inside of you to where you're no longer, you completely remove the condition of external things where you can literally be on the cross being crucified and you can love people without condition and heaven is inside of you. While I absolutely love the law of attraction, and it is a universal law, and it works, and it is how we need to change the world, and it is how you change your life. How do I do that if I'm no longer pursuing wealth or success or influence as part of my pursuit of happiness? What if I'm always happy? What if poverty and meaninglessness and becoming a you know, a monk sitting under a tree in Timbuktu, what if that is what I'm called to do by the Spirit? Will I be unhappy? Or is happiness who I am because heaven is inside of me? Now, it's fairly philosophical and there's a lot of moving parts to how that would look, but I'm telling you, in what the Spirit has shown me in, in this process in my life, and honestly, the most exciting thing I think I may have ever found you're listening to somebody who, whether whether or not it's true, I perceive that I actually understand the origin of the universe, who God is, where I, I believe I understand God and I understand who we are and I, how things work and the big questions about the meaning of life and blah, 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 blah. And yet the kingdom of heaven being inside of you and stepping into a way of being that does not require external circumstances in order for your ability to manifest heaven in your life. This is arguably the most exciting thing that the Spirit has ever shown me. And I believe there is a way to live in heaven now. And if you can live in heaven now, and if you can find a way to think so differently and I'll leave you with an analogy. One of the first things you'll face is, well, if I think that differently, where I let go of the pursuit of happiness in the old lens, you'll realize something very quickly. In this dream or this nightmare that humanity has created for itself, we have created some cool things. We've created some beautiful things, right? A good marriage is beautiful. B children are beautiful. Vacations are beautiful. Music is beautiful. There's many things we have built in this nightmare that are good. Like skydiving. All right, this is my analogy. An analogy I came up with with Kayleen Hale yesterday, actually. And skydiving for, <laughs> unless you're one that just hates heights or anything, but it is an amazingly beautiful experience of the human creative process, right? We've invented planes, we've invented parachutes, and all of the things that allow skydiving to be done fairly regularly around the world for those who want to do it. And it gives you the euphoric 
experience of something amazing. But if you consider it, why is skydiving such an amazing experience? Because it includes the fear of falling. It includes the fear of what if this doesn't work? It includes fear. And so you'll, if you consider and back out and realize that all of our most beautiful experiences in this paradigm really require, like, so if you have an amazing relationship, imagine if all of your relationships were amazing. Then in reality, you would just consider an amazing relationship to be average, right? But let's say you have a really, really terrible business partner. And then you have another business partner that's good and they're just average, right? Well, depending on how terrible business partner is, your good business partner is going to seem that much more amazing. So our ability to say that skydiving is amazing is directly proportionate to how scary the idea of falling out of plane without a parachute is or how scary the idea of the parachute not working. So in this current paradigm, we frame our joy by the fact that there are things that are its complete opposite. And that's what it is, the knowledge of good and evil. So if skydiving is amazing, you know, and that's the happiness you're pursuing, well, I just want to skydive every day, and I want to be, well, that's awesome. But let me ask you, is there a higher way to be to where you don't need skydiving to be happy, but you are? And what it is, it's like switching from skydiving to say, well, what if you could learn how to fly? If you consider it, if you could fly, skydiving would actually be kind of weird. It would be kind of silly. It wouldn't be nearly as exciting because you can fly. (laughs) Right? And so this thing that you think is so beautiful this idea of Christianity or this idea of family or this idea of anything that humanity has created that is beautiful. When you begin to have the source of happiness within you and you're no longer pursuing happiness through all the things that you want to create in the external world, you quickly realize that you're living on such a different set of filters, such a different paradigm that even the most beautiful things fall short of hold of being your source of joy anymore. So if you could fly, sure. What would you miss about skydiving? Well, mostly you would miss the fear that goes with it. But what if when you skydive, instead of having any fear and now you can fly, what if you, you know, if you had wings, you right, you tuck your wings in like a hawk and you barrel yourself towards the earth at a hundred, you know, at terminal velocity, and then right before you hit some trees, or right before you hit some a field of wheat, you spread your wings and you glide up and you let the water just barely caress your chest, right, or your belly. You didn't have the fear of death, and you didn't have that euphoria of skydiving. But what did you have instead? Well, if you're aware, and your happiness is within you then what you really have is the joy of the wind in your face and the joy of the earth, the vision of the earth coming at you and and going through the clouds and the mist of the clouds and then the caress of the water on your belly as you glide over a lake and then you go land on a cliff and just look at the sunset. When your joy is within you, you begin to realize that you are free to live and you're free to see life And you're free to see life as abundant. Because when your joy is dependent on external circumstances matching your internal agreements, then life is scarce. And then happiness becomes scarce. There is so much more to this, guys. And I know I will be unpacking it myself in years to come. And I'm hoping that this has given you some things to think about. I personally am going through everything that Don Miguel, Don Miguel Jr. and Jose Ruiz have written. You can find links to all of those books on the website and as well as the, uh, there's a Four Agreements group in our Facebook group. And uh, I would appreciate if you do buy those books to buy them through the website because we get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon. It's a nice little fundraiser. But, you know, I'm going to be going through everything. And here's the deal. I don't, I've never been one that's like, 
oh, this is where the truth is. You must go find this truth. Look, spirit is your teacher. I am not, right? Spirit has led me to every single major revelation I've ever had. I couldn't have found it if I tried, right? What I try to do is I listen to the voice of spirit and I listen and I understand the principles of spirit. And then he leads me to things, as you've heard my story about getting the four agreements, you know, plopped down on a table in front of me and literally given to me the day I was going to go buy it. Spirit absolutely has made it clear that the things that he's showing me right now can be framed by the teachings of the Toltec wisdom tradition. And I'm so incredibly grateful for it. It will become a part of the language of this community. It will become part of the language of my life and those in my life. And I am sure that we will learn many, many more things. And there may be things that I said in today's episode that I may come back and change or tweak. Change doesn't bother me. Truth is a spiral anyways. So I just am happy to be able to share this with you guys. I'm happy to have an audience that can hear my heart and understand the journey that is humanity, the journey that is life. And I am aiming for the kingdom of heaven within. I am aiming for a way of being that allows for any and all circumstances to come and go out of my life as simply in an experience of living. And I am certain that uh, physical miracles and power are also at the end of this journey. And I also believe that immortality is at the end of this journey. And it's going to take some time to fully understand it. But uh, this is some of the stuff I've currently learned, and it is rocking my world when I consider that all pursuit of happiness ultimately comes down to living a certain way internally where you are the source of happiness, where your identity and the things you believe and your perspectives of the world, and you have gone past the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you've become a tree of life. So with that, I hope I've given you plenty to think about. As always, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, sharing your time with me. And I appreciate you guys, everyone, every member of this community, even if I've not met you. um, I can see the numbers. I can see that there are people being affected by this message. And uh, if you would consider donating, just ask the Holy Spirit whether or not it's something you should do. As always, we appreciate those who, uh, just for considering it, I thank you. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode. God bless you guys.